Assalamu alaikum everybody. It's, it's really eye-opening today. I really enjoyed it um, for bo from both of you. Um, I have a question for Ms. Gail. I'd really like to know what happened, like it to Aisha, what, what are the resolution, like what Prophet did afterward when she actually stood up for herself. But it comes in the Quran. I mean, what can what what could anyone say? She was vindicated. She was vindicated, you know. So, um, yeah, I don't really know what happened subsequent to that. But there is one. There's a one portion in that that the ayats that I read to you that might have sounded a little off about. There's an ayat about don't hold back giving to relatives. Okay, so I didn't go into that during the, the khutbah, but what that was about was Aisha's father, Abu Bakr, was very wealthy, and he had a cousin who had also left Mecca, migrated to Medina, and he was in very poor circumstances. And when Abu Bakr heard about the slander against his daughter, he wanted to withdraw his support. He was giving him financial support, and he wanted to withdraw the financial support from this relative. And this ayat comes down and say, no, you're not supposed to do that. You, you have to be generous of heart no matter what the circumstances, because you have an obligation to help those less fortunate. So that's, that's what that was about. So I'm sorry I don't have an answer to you, your question. Yeah. What, what I remember from that is that when the revelation came down, Aisha's mother said, oh, I'm, I'm totally paraphrasing, said to her, you should be so thankful, you know, the Prophet Muhammad, peace be upon him, brought you this revelation, you should be so thankful to him. And she said, no, I need to be thankful to Allah, I'm going to recognize Allah. So I just thought it was just another, you know, a point about her conviction and her belief and her trust in Allah and who is the source and who is the means. I also had a question. Um, I, I was wondering, uh, the, one of the ayahs that you read from the story uh, in the Quran, it said something along the lines of, and for impure men or impure women, and impure women, pure men, that kind of thing. And I was just wondering if uh, you had any um, um, uh, insight into what that word means and what context that statement was, I mean, or that uh, verse is talking about impure men and impure women being for each other and vice versa. I actually don't, so I'm gonna open up to anyone else who might have some interpretation of that. Um, I know that, that was, it was a conscious, it seemed like it was a conscious, deliberate thing to say men and women, and there are other ayats in the Quran where it's specifically you know, the ones that we're talking about where it's men and women that are mentioned. So in this particular passage, uh, the importance of, of both sexes is, is kind of re-emphasized. So, you know, at some future date, it could have been the opposite. It could have been women gossiping or slandering men, perhaps, or it could be uh, something about, um, you know, the chastity of, of both of both sides. It's not just the women that have to be chaste, it's the men that have to be chaste too. So there's equality in terms of the, the um, you know, how you, you rate people. So does anyone else have any insight on that? Do you have any? I don't have any. 
I don't have any insight, but I know where it gets, that verse gets twisted. I'm a divorced woman, therefore, I'm not a virgin, I have two kids. But does that mean a man who's never been married is not supposed to marry me? Because that's how it gets twisted. So, I don't think I'm unpure. I know it doesn't. I'm saying it's how it gets twisted. Exactly. You know, by men. Yeah. <laughs> and we know, obviously, because the prophet, peace be upon him, you know, uh, made it a point to marry divorced women um, to, uh, to eradicate those false beliefs during his time. But of course, you know, things... women with children. Oh, women with children as well, yes. Um, Dr. Khalid Abul Fadl has an essay where he talks about this verse and uh, in the search, and uh, search for Truth and Beauty in Islam. Um, and he talks more about the psychological component about, um, you know, if there is someone who has committed adultery um, and that person, um, you know, someone who has not ever committed adultery wants to marry that person who has committed adultery. Um, he kind of gives a case study and an example of a young couple who come to his office um, wanting to get married and they had that situation where one of them had, um, one of them hadn't. Um, and he talks about, um, he kind of leaves it on a question so he doesn't really answer the question but he kind of gets you to think and he talks about how, um, you know, the person who had not committed adultery before in their previous relationship, um, that they were kind of going through this psychological torture of paranoia and not being able to trust that other person fully. And so that, um, you know, perhaps this, um, um, this verse, um, as some interpret it to mean, is, you know, if someone has committed adultery, then that person should also marry someone who has, you know, done a similar um, act. Um, he was talking more about the psychological component of maybe there's wisdom in that so that, you know, you can have, you can start your marriage off and you can start your relationship off on um, a foot of trust and you won't have those recurring um, fights and things coming up later on. So that's just another perspective. Assalamu alaikum. I enjoyed what I did here. You, I, I got here kind of late and I enjoyed what I heard of you. But I want to kind of change the tide a little bit and kind of go back to Aisha about no one believing her truth or whatever. And I, what I'm, I'm getting a lesson here is that, you know, the prophet didn't believe his own wife. And he's a prophet. He didn't even ask her, did you do this? Is it true, you know? So what I'm getting out of this is that Abasa, when he turned his back on the blind guy, and here's another situation where he was human. So for, I'm saying for those who want to worship him instead of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, that's a lesson there to tell you this man is human. He makes mistakes just like anybody else. Yeah, and that's a great lesson, right? None of these things happen without God's planning and will. And so there's a purpose, and, and God knew that this would happen, and God knew that the prophet, peace be upon him, would react this way, and God is the one who revealed those verses. So it's definitely to teach us a meta lesson about, um, you know, not only worshiping, not worshiping the prophet, but also, um, you know, to, to empower women in future generations. Yeah, thank you for bringing that up because um, for me, you know, the it was also 
one of the most shocking aspects of the story that to think that someone like the prophet who we know was so kind and compassionate um, a person that he did not believe his wife. And so what that made me think about is the fear that a lot of survivors, uh, and I speak as a survivor myself, um, have that we won't be believed. And that, you know, there is uh, there that this fear that often keeps us silent also, that it's not baseless, it's not that we are crazy or something. And so if a survivor chooses to keep her silence for as long as she does, because she has this fear, um, you know, that we have compassion for that. And this was a very important lesson that I had to learn and, and was very hugely important for me in my healing process also, that, you know, it's okay that I had that fear and that it wasn't just me being crazy or whatever. And at the same time, to then step in, uh, to respond to that fear with faith like Aisha did and be like, you know what, maybe people won't believe me, but I still need to speak my truth. So that was a very powerful lesson. Assalamu alaikum. Thank you both. I enjoyed both of your kutbahs, the bayan, I believe it is, and kutbah. Um, I wanted a little more clarification about when the Prophet Muhammad came to Aisha's parents' home. Uh, maybe somebody else, I don't know. But I think part of that story is also that he was kind of like, okay, I forgive you, come on home, type thing. And she was like, uh-uh. No, 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 it, it, it's not going down like that. I think she refused to go back to the Prophet until there was some kind of clarification. I don't know when that uh, the revelation came or whatever, but I'd like a little clarification on that. And also, just as a point of levity with your, your situation, there are, there are other women in this room who are divorced, okay? I've been divorced three times. Okay, I'm good at it. <laughs> it's not as bad as it sounds, but <laughs> it really isn't. But I wanted to mention as you were speaking, I remember as a young woman when I had a very difficult situation, just two small kids, I'm trying to get off the bus with a couple of bags of groceries and everything, it's like, it was just physically impossible. What I found very early on is when a situation is impossible, Allah always sends somebody to help. Just, you know, guy got no problem here, let me take these groceries for you, walk you home, type thing. When a situation is just difficult, eh, but it's, it's impossible that Allah will leave you in an impossible situation. He is always there for us. And I wanted to specifically mention, as a point of levity, divorce is not fun, but there's always something comical going on in the background. I, I just look at it as Allah is so merciful, he revealed 15 ayats to defend anything, you know, and I like how you made Prophet Muhammad a human being, you know, because if you've ever been to Mecca, sometimes you will see a group of people who are very much into the Prophet to the point where they believe that he doesn't make mistakes. So this is one of those things to show that sometimes things happen, right? And you can recover from divorce too. 
Uh, I also wanted to mention we have a counselor with us today. Can you raise your hand? Um, so if anyone would like to speak to her or get any uh, emotional support, she's available to you. Um, and um, I have a question for Raisa um, about codependency. So I'll, I'll just like, oh, I'll, I'll just open up a little bit about, you know, my own patterns. Um, and one thing I've noticed in myself is that when I'm very productive, I don't even think about marriage at all. Um, and it's only when I'm not being productive and I'm not doing, you know, my work that I should be doing or anything that then I'm like, oh, maybe, maybe I should get married. <laughs> and, and I don't understand like what the balance should be because obviously, you know, eventually I would like to, but I know that every time I get into that super productive mode, I don't even want to. Like it, it's, it feels like it would be something that would distract me from my goals. So what is the balance and how do you, you know, balance being married and in a relationship um, with also, you know, fulfilling your own goals and purpose? What, how, like how do you, you know, on a daily basis, how do you do that? Yeah, well, thank you for asking that question. That's a great question because we all struggle with balance. And I, I'm not married right now, but it's, I think the most important thing is that each individual, whether you're in a relationship or not, you're always in a relationship with yourself. And um, it's important to be a whole healthy person. So knowing what your priorities are and not allowing any one thing to consume you. So to being conscious of that and aware of how you're spending your time, having a schedule and an agenda, you know, are you fit putting in time for your health, for your well-being, for your relationships, and your work? Your, some people's work is their whole life, but that's not really all that, that life is about. And I think it's really just really important to making sure that we're taking care of all parts of ourselves our physical being, our emotional being, our spiritual being, and our mental well-being, because that's what comprises us of a, being a human being. So I think when we start by making sure that we take care of ourselves first, like for example, when you wake up in the morning, are you checking into yourself first? Or are you checking into your phone and what everybody else wants of you and what, what else is going on out there and then just reacting to that all day long versus okay, getting yourself situated and grounded and, and filling yourself, like filling your cup spiritually, emotionally, physically, so you can go out there and and do all the awesome work that you do. And I think so in any relationship, before you get into a relationship, you have to be a whole healthy person in order to come together with another person who's also whole and healthy to create a foundation. So I think it's just really being uh, clear on your priorities and, and understanding that it's a personal responsibility for everyone to take care of our own well-being and health. I was actually trying to refer back to the discussion about Aisha when the prophet came to her parents' home. Does anybody know what went down and how they actually reconciled or anything about the story of her refusing to go back until, basically, I need an apology. Okay. Yeah, I, if anyone else wants to chime in, but I'll just kind of give you my, um, my take on that. So I mentioned that she, there might have been some jealousy issue going on too because he had just taken this, uh, another wife. So that would, could have been a problem. But I think the bigger story here is it's important for us to take the kernel of the lesson and don't get hung up on the specifics of the, the these are allegorical stories. They, they happened, right? 
But if we get all off into the weeds of, well, maybe she, she did that or she did that, and who said that, and that's really, we missed the boat. We, it's, the, the lesson is she stood up, it's an, and it's an amazing example for us in the text. You know, we often, we don't, we don't look at the text that way. You know, we don't always go into it and say, well, what's, what's really happening here? What's, what is the law trying to tell us as women? What are, we, what are we supposed to gain from this rather than the other stuff? So that's just my... Before he left the home, the ayats came to him. He had the revelation that the... So site, is, is that what you were asking? I think she was asking after, after the revelation, that, did okay. she, you know, throw a fit and say, hey, you know? Thank you, Hasta. Thank you, Raisa and Sister Gilf. I'm giving both of you big hugs as soon as we're done. Um, as you were talking about the lesson, isn't there another story or hadith where um, the, there was this battle scene happening and they were strategizing for the battle and one of the um, companions asked the prophet, like the prophet suggested a, a, a strategy on how to, um, have what to do in the battle and that person asked, is this coming from you as the prophet or coming from you as a person, as a leader? And the Prophet clarified that this is just my thoughts as Muhammad, as a person. And so then the, that person said, well, then I have an idea. Um, and I think they went forward with that idea. So what's coming up for me as I'm tying in both of your, um, is that importance of checking in with yourself um, to say, hey, what is Allah's guidance here and how am I you know, what am I tapped into as I make this decision, as I make this choice? So I don't know, that's something that came up. And I love that idea of, you know, the two most important conversations you have any day, any time, at any point of your life is with yourself and with God. So thank you for that reminder. You know, I wanted to say something to what you said um, in terms of the guidance when you have an open heart and an open mind and a quiet mind, not less full of chatter and this is gonna happen, that's gonna happen, I have to do this, I have to do that, you know, if, if I do this and this will happen. It's like all of this stuff that's going on in our mind that is not truth, it's just stuff, stories we're making up. When we have a quiet mind, we can really tap into the, the wisdom that Allah guides us with. We, we can, be in alignment with our heart and our head and feel at peace with whatever decision we make or how we move forward if we're quiet enough to accept and listen to the guidance that Allah is sending us because sometimes we don't want to hear what we really need to hear, <laughs> you know? And then it gets hard and that's where the friction starts because you know in your heart something's right but your head's trying to come up with reasons why you, should, you don't want to do it. Yeah. Um, alaikum. I enjoyed both of your uh, perspective and how you presented um, history and um, your twist to it. And I um, especially love the comment of loving yourself, getting to know yourself, being happy with yourself, being comfortable with yourself. Um, because all the shows, all the professionals, it is said that we can't make others happy until we are happy with ourselves, until we know who we are. Um, we can't be a good wife, we can't be a good mother. I was looking at a show, I'm a 
TV-aholic, but anyway. Um, and the mother and the father went to high school together and they had the kids and the kids are teens now, but the mother, quantum leap, okay. And so the mother was uh, unhappy. So this was the, what, 60s, late 50s, 60s. And so she was unhappy, it was a lot more than she thought she could do. And so that was like the premise of the show. And um, you know, tragedy, almost tragedy, life happens, things change, it was good in the end. So, that's what our mothers and our grandmothers and before, that's what they went through. Um, not being able to uh, do the things that they wanted to do, follow their dreams or whatever. Well, we live in a different time. And so, um, for us to be good Christians, before us to be good Jewish women, before us we can be good Muslim women, before we can just be good women, we definitely have to search into ourselves, find out who we are, find our comfort zone, find out what our standards are. And then going back to the marriage thing, I personally don't feel, that's personally, that we can actually enter into that particular realm until we are comfortable with ourselves, until we do have something of our own. If it's nothing but a degree, you know, if it's nothing but a business, um, but you have to be comfortable with yourself. And once you get there, then all of the other stuff, Allah just sends all the other stuff to you. You know, you don't have to search. You don't have to wonder when it's time it would happen. Long as you don't have a wall there, just, you know, totally there, then all of it will come in due time. I have one issue, and one issue is, is if, if we could take out the desperation in our behavior and our thinking when it comes to marriage, we will do much, much better. Thank you. Okay, so we have to finish soon. Can we just do these two, and then you'll be the last one. Salam alaikum. It's um, I'm a professional singer, so it's normal for me to share my voice in a certain way, but very big challenge for me to actually speak publicly. Um, so I'm I'm very grateful for this opportunity and also in after such beautiful khutbah and bayan um, I just wanted to mention the idea uh, that I feel may would have perhaps come up in a, a male dominated space in regards to this story of Aisha um, thinking about shirk in regards to the confusion of the self with God and the problem of treating oneself as if you are God, and also that there is a huge mystery there, um, that this is uh, one of the maybe most mystical questions of um, Islamic faith, how we, through love, overlap with the divine. So I was just curious what either of you would have to say about that zone, which has been such a, a realm of uh, meditation and um, provocation and even, uh, you know, something like, I'm thinking of someone like Halaj or, you know, the great um, Sufis who would say, uh, there's nothing under my cloak but God or I am the truth, or you know, what was this like for Aisha? Maybe she was an example of one of these um, one of these people who had that moment where they 
they overstepped something that, that was maybe a socially prescribed order, uh, but because they felt that connection so powerfully and they knew themselves so well that they could see that they'd crossed that line into actually having some direct connection to what they know is true and, and what God is telling them, what Allah is telling them. So um, I would love to hear what you have to say. As you were saying that, I was thinking that's like God speaking through someone when you're so connected and you allow God to speak through you to, in your actions and your words. And there is, a, there is a hadith about that too. And I can't remember it right now. That when, I'm totally paraphrasing. Is that when Allah loves someone, um, he's the hands which, with they, which they work and the feet which, which they walk. That reminded me of that. And I think in terms of in any love that you have for another person, it cannot be without Allah in there because the reason why you love them is to is for the pleasure of Allah or you're able to give to them because Allah has already filled you up and you're, you're full and you're in a, in a state of abundance and you can give your overflow without, uh, without expectations, which we all have and it's normal in relationships, but we're able to give from a place of fullness and abundance rather than I have to, or rather than tainting it with bitterness or resentment. And I think that's a key thing in any relationship is to have Allah between you of why you're in the relationship, what you, what you, because relationships are a lot about giving. And when you give is when you, when you receive. So you're almost saying, where is Allah between you and yourself also? Absolutely. It, start, it starts with that. I really have nothing to add. <laughs> I think, you know, you said it. Anyone else want to add something that could be, yeah. I only have a commentary. I truly appreciated the two poignant kutbas because they're so relevant to our present life today. There was a timeless quality that sometimes is not evident. I may hear a an anecdote or an incident from Quran or Hadith, and then I must analyze how, what is the meaning for me at this current stage in my life and in history. But immediately, I sense the timelessness from both of you, and may you find a worthy reward for sharing with us. I mean, I'll be quick. Um, I wanted to thank you so much for um, talking about a lot of the times I feel my sisters are, do have a desperation surrounding marriage. And we have this sister here, she's done it three times, alhamdulillah. <laughs> All I'm saying to add a bit of levity, as, as she said, is Sometimes we get so stuck in the weeds, we are looking for the perfect Muslim man, um, but I don't know how to help my sisters, and, but only realize that at the Prophet's time, people were getting married and divorced and widowed and remarried. There's an ayat in the Quran that basically tells the, the men, hold on 40 days. That means they were knocking on those doors as soon as someone's a widow. Alhamdulillah, like I wish that happened today. 
but it, it happened. And now our culture has shifted to this, this, this definition of marriage being something that it may or may not be. And we have to find that for ourselves. And what version of it can we handle? And with whom? Is the man Muslim-like, but he's not Muslim? Is he caring? Is he embodying everything the prophet does, but he's not Muslim? I mean, it's very hard. But I just think we have to shift our culturally ingrained definitions and desperation around it, because we are amazing, like Raisa said, perfect the way we are. Yeah, takbir. Allah Akbar. Beautiful note to end on. Thank you.